covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us as we've got another week's worth of Milwaukee Brewers talk to get to. Have a fun program this week. Ashton Rotman, who is a producer for ESPN Milwaukee, one of my very good friends. We've had him on the podcast before. He's going to join us in our social media conversation, and uh, we are going to have Brad Ford coming up later on as well from Brew Crew Ball as we're going to do a minor league roundup, the first of two straight weeks of our roundup, where we will uh, this week focus in on the uh, short season club in Colorado Springs, the Rocky Mountain Vibes, and then the two single-A teams with the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers and the Carolina Mudcats. As we do uh, get things started, our normal housekeeping items. Uh, first off, to folks who uh, might be listening to this on uh, 540 ESPN, hello. We are part of the ESPN Pod Center on Mondays that Doug Russell puts together. So if you happen to be listening to us on the actual radio, we welcome you in, and we're glad that uh, this is being aired beyond just what we uh, already do uh, via the podcast uh, on WTMJ Mobile. If you are listening via the podcast and you listen on Apple Podcast and live want to leave a ranking and review, that would be great. If you want to subscribe, that would be great. If you're listening on 540, this is a podcast. You can find it, uh, Apple Podcast, Stitch, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, we would love for you to live a ranking and review and subscribe and all that sort of stuff as well. Uh, rough week. Rough uh, let me rephrase that. Rough weekend for the Brewers as they lose two of three to a San Francisco Giants team. And it's more about how they're losing the games because the bullpen was not very good. Bullpen throws 12 innings over the course of the three games, and they have a 12 ERA. So clearly, that is not a good place to be in. I've been thinking about this a lot. If you've listened to me at all on WTMJ on the uh, Brewers Extra Inning Show, uh, you know that I am someone that believes in over a course of a 162 base uh, 62 game baseball season making rash decisions uh, making decisions based off something within a small sample size is not something you should do so I I'm kind of the let things play out for a little while guy before I really make a decision we've seen the different groupings struggle at different times over the course of the year We've talked about it a lot over the last couple weeks. Uh, There was, I think, a 31-game period for starting pitching where the starting pitching ERA was 6.5. 31 games is not a small sample size. I'm not going to lie to you and say that I wasn't a little bit concerned about starting pitching, but I also felt like it could turn around. I looked at the guys who were in the rotation, and I felt like this was a position group that could get better with the guys who were in place. And we've seen that recently. I think uh, Brandon Woodruff and Zach Davies have been very good. Yoli Chassin is clearly trending in the right direction. Uh, Chase Anderson, I think it has everything to do with how you view him. If you view him as your number five starter, if he goes out and gives you five innings every time and gives up two runs, I'll take it. I think most Major League Baseball teams would take that from the guy that they view as their number five starter. Adrian Hauser, he's only really had one good start since he's been moved in the rotation. But Gio Gonzalez is going to be back sooner than later. And you would think that if Hauser doesn't kick it up a bit, uh, he would probably be the guy who might move out. And he was very good in the bullpen, and that's an area that's in need. And we'll get more into that here in just a second. The bats, I know I was just looking up the numbers for uh, where the Brewers rank uh, hitting with runners in scoring position. It had been a little while since I'd looked up those numbers. And for a while, 
the Brewers' numbers were actually pretty good in that area. It didn't feel like it was good because even though they were getting hits with runners in scoring position, it still felt like it wasn't scoring. You know, the the infield single with a runner on second sort of thing where the runner isn't coming in to score. Well, now it's even fallen off of that. Brewers' batting average with runners in scoring position is two thirty nine. That is worst in the National League. The closest team to them is the Miami Marlins at uh, 250, so a 11-point difference, and they are only better in all of Major League Baseball than the Detroit Tigers who come in at 227. That being said, I still feel like this offense can be okay. I still look and see who they have and what that lineup can look like, and I feel like this is an offense that if it gets going – and maybe this is kind of a redundant sort of thing, but if it gets going, they're going to score a lot of runs. I think they can get going. That's the more important thing. The bullpen has had moments of good this year and moments of not so good. There was a period where Josh Hader was humming along, and I still think he is. He had that two-home run game the other day, but that doesn't impact the way I view Hader. But Junior Guerra was going strong at one point. Jeremy Jeffers, like there were Matt Albers. There, there were guys who were who were doing a nice job. The bullpen is the one area on the team where I am legitimately concerned and where I feel like maybe the difference between this team being a playoff team and not being a playoff team is an improved bullpen. Now, I'll tell you this. The way the bullpen performed against the Giants with that 12 ERA, that's not who they are. They're better than that. But the question is, how much better than that are they? And whatever level better than that that they are, is that good enough for this team to have a really solid uh, base moving forward as they try to hunt down a playoff spot? And I'm not sure it is. The bullpen is the one area that I question a bit. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. I will continue to say it until we walk into the month of August. And if I end up being wrong, you can tell me I was wrong and I'll admit that I was wrong. But I, I've always thought that the bullpen was going to be the area that the Brewers were going to improve upon from outside the organization. Now, they'll continue to tell you, whether it's David Stearns or Craig Council or anybody else associated with the team, they'll continue to tell you that they have to improve from within. And that's true. But you as a, as a general manager, you as a manager are never going to say anything publicly where you don't really support your own team. They're not David Stearns isn't going to hold a press conference tomorrow and say, "Yep, we're looking for relief pitching. We are doing everything we can to improve this bullpen. We've talked with so many teams about so many relief pitchers. Man, we need some uh some help from the outside the organization." That's that's not going to happen. So, they're going to continue to talk about self-improvement from inside of the organization. But I I'm You've heard me talk about it before. I'm big into track record. When I judge players and their ability to bounce back, a lot of times I judge it on track record. That's why, And it's not always right. That's why I thought Travis Shaw had a better chance of getting his bat going than Jesus Aguilar because Shaw's track record as a everyday third baseman, everyday in the lineup, he's got more of a track record than Jesus Aguilar. I was wrong on that one. Aguilar's been able to get things going a bit here in the last month or so, and they eventually had to send Travis Shaw down to AAA. But I guess general manager track record and player track record are a little bit different. The track record of David Stearns is to go get relief pitching. He did it two years ago with Anthony Swarzak. He did it last year with 
Joaquim Soria, Xavier Cedeno. He's made other additions, even if not at the trade deadline in, in spring training, whether it was a, a Jared Hughes or Dan Jennings. I mean, they they add to the bullpen from outside the organization regularly. And uh, the thought would be that they're going to do that again. Now, when are they going to do it? I think there is some pressure. This is This is where it gets a little bit interesting because one of the strengths of David Stearns is to sit back and allow the market to come to him. And he's made some very good moves. Um, you look at the way the Christian Yelich situation played out. Yeah, If they would have been really aggressive, they would have ended up with Marcel Ozuna. That's why Ozuna's in St. Louis, because when the Cardinals came up second in the Stanton sweepstakes, they were pushing, pushing, pushing to try to get another player and at the time, the Marlins were saying Yelich wasn't going to be available, and they pushed to go get Ozuna. And Ozuna's a nice player, but he's not Christian Yelich. And the Brewers sat back and waited. This past offseason, allowing Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis to both explore the market and it not come around to where they wanted it to be, that they could come and get those guys on, on one-year deals. So I, I think David Stearns is very good at being smart about waiting out the market. Here's where the issue arises right now. The Brewers are not playing great baseball. They're not playing especially good baseball here at the moment. Cubs have picked it up a little bit. And you don't want to play yourself into a position where climbing out of that hole is a lot tougher than it was even a week earlier. And not that a week makes a season. It doesn't. But I think... The way the bullpen performed over the weekend against San Francisco, if there is not a clear improvement from that bullpen group in the extremely near future, there's some added pressure. And not that it's that long till July to the end of July in the trade deadline. I get that it's not. But I, I also have to think there is a little bit of pressure inside the general manager's office to maybe make a move and, and get a bullpen arm or two in. And I, I just think about last year, and I've said it before, I hate doing the thing where we compare last year to this year. It's it's just not something that I really want to do. But I think to uh, last year, and even when Josh Hader wasn't available to pitch, on days that Hader didn't pitch, you had Corey Knable, you had Jeremy Jeffress. And Jeffress was an, was an all-star version of himself last year. He hasn't pitched to that level quite yet this year. This year, on, on days that Josh Hader isn't available, it, it seems at times like a crapshoot. It's just those, those high-leverage guys in the back of the, the bullpen, there's so many inconsistencies with them, even before the series against San Francisco. And just being able to go grab some veteran arms that you can put in the seventh inning, that you can put in the eighth inning and feel comfortable with, that's that's something that I think this team could really use. And I would still expect that to happen before all is said and done. All right, on the program this week, we are going to talk with uh, Ashton Rotman. That's coming up in just mere seconds. We'll also talk to uh, Brad Ford coming up in just a bit as well. This is Brewers Extra Into the Podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our social media conversation 
which sometimes we uh, we stretch the definition of that a little bit because I get to bring my friends on the program, which is what we're doing right now. He is uh, the producer over at ESPN Milwaukee of a couple shows uh, during the course of the day. He's the former WTMJ sports producer, and he still dabbles at WTMJ on occasion. He dabbles with the Brewers Radio Network and a behind-the-scenes role on occasion. He's Ashton Rotman. Hi, Ashton. Hey, Maddie. What's going on, buddy? Is, is that a good introduction for you? I think so. I think that's the nicest thing uh, you've ever said uh, in public about me. Okay. So that's good. That, and probably the nicest thing I've said in private as well. Just nicest that's, thing, that's period. That's also true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Man, this... Uh, there are times where I do this podcast, and you know me, I'm an optimist. I like to look at the positive things that are going, and not that everything's bad with the Brewers right now. I think you can look at, you know, Jesus Aguilar has gotten going here recently. Starting pitching is on an uptick recently, but the team just hasn't played good baseball in better than a month, and what we saw from the bullpen in the first series after the All-Star break during the, you know, losing two of three to San Francisco, and they very easily could have gotten swept if the bats wouldn't have picked them up in that middle game I am I'm very concerned so let me I'm I'm talking and talking and talking and the idea is for you to talk but let me throw this out at you when starting pitching has struggled this year and there was even a 31 game period where starting pitching had an ERA of six and a half or higher I wasn't overly concerned about starting pitching I thought it would round into form the offense has struggled even now in terms of running runners uh, hitting with runners in scoring position. But mm-hmm. I feel good about this team offensively. I don't feel good about the bullpen. Do you share my feelings kind of in what I just said? Uh, pretty much word for word, yeah. And the, the main thing with the bullpen is you could even point to times in the beginning of the year where you're like, okay, Corbin Burns has it here and there, even when he was out of the starting rotation and, and started doing more work in the bullpen. Junior Guerra had it for a good stretch, and he's kind of fallen off just a little bit here recently. Um, Hader was unhittable for a stretch, and then all of a sudden, it's okay, he's pretty much unhittable, but if you do hit him, it's going to go out of the ballpark. So I, I think that's reason enough to be concerned about the long-term effects of how Craig Council manages the bullpen and how he has to manage his starters, which I'm getting a little... We're uh, worrisome of with with how he's trying to figure out. Okay, can I let this hitter, this pitcher, hit a second time because he's in the start, he's doing so well. It's to me, David Stearns is in a tough spot because one of his strengths as a general manager is allowing the market to come to him. That's how Christian Yelich ended up with the Brewers. That's how Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandal ended up with the Brewers. That's how those August 31st guys from last year ended up with the Brewers. He's very good at being patient right now. And look, right there. Even after the loss on Sunday, I think they're a half a game out of a wild card spot. So this team is not that they're playing well, but the idea is, you know, there's people out there saying, well, they just need to sell off and, and you know, replenish the farm system <laughs> and play for next year. And to me, even even as a even if they're one and done in the wild card, you're still a playoff team. There's that's still an accomplishment. You need to play to get into the playoffs, and they're right where they want to be uh, in terms of being able to be a playoff team. But I also feel like they got to address this bullpen stuff sooner than later. Yeah, and the, well, the funny thing is, and you mentioned it earlier when you were talking about the offense, how you feel good about it. It doesn't it feel like over this last like I, don't, I think it's what 28 games. They're 10 and 18, if I remember correctly, and. It's three games, their offense is hot, but their pitching can't hold it together. And then there's another weak stretch where, okay, now their pitching is starting to figure it out and their starters are going into the fifth and sixth and seventh inning, but all of a sudden they can't score with runners on base. And I I just, I don't know if there's that happy medium of like you were talking about with David Stearns, if he knows 
what this team is yet because I don't know what this team is. I mean, mediocre is probably a fair word to use, even if it's an above average mediocre. I, I don't think they're they're not contenders for anything right now, aside from maybe getting the wild card. Like they're not. I don't think any other teams are taking them seriously, or anyone in the media is taking them seriously as contenders to do something in the playoffs. I say they're consistently inconsistent, and what it's exactly what you just said. That's I would rather if I am a general manager of a baseball team, I would just rather my bullpen completely stink or my starting pitching completely stink. Then one week it's good, and the next week it's not, because as a GM, you don't really know what areas that are are legitimately need to be addressed. Again, I'll go back to what we were talking about earlier. I do feel like the bullpen. We know enough about the bullpen at this point that that does need to be legitimately addressed. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Now, here's something I was thinking about. I don't know if we're going to get to this, but I want to just touch on it for a second. What do you do with the bullpen? Like that's what I've been kind of thinking about over the past week is. What, what can you even do with it? If you tr- trade for a couple arms, that means you're losing something else probably, and then you have to decide, okay, which of the guys in the bullpen are you know, the least of the, the problem? And it's aside from, from Josh Hader and I guess probably Junior Guerra, and at times Jeremy Jeffers, although he still doesn't have it back yet, I, who do you decide if you're making I think a, Matt Al- a trade? I think you should list Matt Albers in there too. Yeah, that's true. Up until this weekend, yeah. he has been pretty good. That's that's a good point. I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because a lot, not a lot of people like Matt Albers for some reason. He doesn't really do anything wrong. He just kind of is there and sometimes gets hit. Um, but who who do you take out of the bullpen if you make a trade? Who's who can you decide? I shouldn't even word it that way. I word of who do you keep in the bullpen if you're making a trade? I think you just listed them. That's it. It's four guys, right? right. Five guys. Yeah, that's it. And. If, they're not going to bring in an all-star closer. Like that's not what they're going to bring in. But I think, I think what they're going to bring in are guys like they've brought in the last two years. Where two years ago it was Anthony Swarzak. Last year it was Joaquin mm-hmm. Sorian. It was Xavier Sedano. Just guys. That's the, what the bullpen needs to be settled. It doesn't need to be. I guess it could be accelerated, but right now I think it's at a point where you just need veteran, consistent arms that you feel good about. That's to me. That's the difference between this team right now being a playoff team and not being a playoff team is just having some more consistency out of the bullpen. Maybe I'm simplifying it too much, but that that's how I view it. I think you're right. Now, the uh, the news this week was Shelby Miller. Um, what do you read into that at all? He's only 29, I think. He's got one all-star appearance in his, his career. Um, do you read anything into Shelby Miller being an, a legit possibility, or is, that as, or is that a hopefully it works? I would be very surprised if he wore a Brewers uniform this year. Okay. I, I I was when I saw that report, I was a little bit surprised um, that it was going to be anything more than hey, we need some organizational depth, and if it works out, great. Where we need you in an emergency spot, awesome. But uh, I, I kind of get the same feeling of it's not really there. It's just kind of a thing that happened. I he doesn't seem like a brewer either. <laughs> Why, wait, what? I don't know. Just, like there's there's profiles of guys who fit. And I don't don't take this as me saying I hope it doesn't work out because anything that can help the team, right? I, I'm all for. And if he if you know if he gets if, if the Brewers get their hands on him and they find some sort of you know mechanical flaw or whatever it might be and they fix him and all of a sudden he's the Shelby Miller that the Cardinals thought they had when he was coming up in their organization, you know, groovy. That's great for this team and that's great moving forward. But just right now call me skeptical and I just I don't, I don't feel like he really fits the profile of somebody that you know comes to the Brewers and has a ton of success maybe I'm wrong I'm wrong a lot I can be wrong 
I mean, it, and you said it when you first started was, look, I'll take anybody that's going to help this bullpen and or this pitching staff or whatever. And that's that brings up this is where the pitching staff is so interesting and if rotation uh, for starters and of course the bullpen. Like what what on earth what's happening with Jimmy Nelson? Like is is that going to be a thing coming up? Is that just a, a reclamation project for next year already? We're looking at it. Gio Gonzalez still has to come back. Like I, I think there's a lot of there's there's just so many more questions than answers, which is why your point about you'd rather know what it is, and we're starting to figure out. Okay, this is what the pitching staff is. This is what the bullpen is. But that also is what makes this so frustrating. Ashton, do you know what you just did? I mean, not rarely. You asked the Jimmy Nelson question. I know. I had to do it. Which is, it's we, we laugh because... I saw him in the dugout today. I had to do it. Uh, and it's actually kind of funny because I actually Googled him just today to see if I had missed anything. Because, you know, you know <laughs> I, I'm, I'm around the team and I'm at the ballpark on an everyday basis. I, I don't miss news very often, but... It happens occasionally. I was like, you know, has anybody asked about Jimmy Nelson recently? And there, there's nothing out there. But we have a running joke because it's now, for the better part of the last two years, Brewers fans have viewed Jimmy Nelson as the savior. And, right. And, and me, go- me among them, actually. I, I've when he came back, I remember talking about this on the air. It was just okay. This is this is a great step. This is going to be a good sign. You get him going a little bit. Maybe that that is you know a spark. For for the team, and it it just has been the complete opposite of that. He, I just, I don't know if, I'm not saying he's not going to pitch again this year, but if he doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me. Right, that, that's what I'm saying, and I, I think it was reported on uh, on the Fox Sports Wisconsin broadcast today, which I was watching. Obviously, you were at the game uh, that he was playing. Like where he where he's at is he's playing catch, maybe. Like that's that's where he's at. Is they they're gonna they want him to play catch. That's not a great sign. No, and for people who maybe don't know, like the. The timeline for guys coming back is play catch, throw from flat ground, throw mm-hmm. from a mound, face hitters, go on a rehab assignment. Those right, and, and on the, the flat ground front, it's usually from like three separate distances yeah. that you're working on flat ground. Right, like 45, 60, 90, something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, uh, it's a long process. So you know, fluid in the elbow doesn't sound good to me when you're a pitcher. No, it doesn't sound that much fun. No. It uh, it absolutely doesn't. All right, let's go to some of the good stuff. Jesus Aguilar has really gotten it going here recently. Uh, I'm, I tweet out these numbers every once in a while, and I, I didn't run the report after Sunday. And I, I think he went over on Sunday, if I remember correctly. So the numbers would drop a little bit from what I'm going to give. But going into Sunday, Jesus Aguilar, since June 6th, which is when I've been running the numbers from because it seems like that was the point where he started to get things going. Since June 6th, going into Sunday, Aguilar had appeared in 28 games. He had a 370 average, a 443 on base, a 648 slugging percentage, and a 1,091 OPS. That's over a month and a half. That's about a month's worth of games that he actually appeared in. That's that's legit numbers. The only thing he's not doing is hitting home runs. He's doing everything else. Here's where I'm skeptical a little bit, and it, this goes back to his break, his quote unquote breakout season two years ago when he was the he was platooning and getting pinch hit at bats. Over that 28 game stretch that you just talked about, he started only 11 games. The Brewers are 13 and 15. That's not his fault. That's just a note. Uh, but he's only had 61 plate appearances over that stretch, and that's that's what worries me. I'm very happy that he's. When he's getting to the plate, he's getting on base, he's getting hits. But any sort of longevity that they've needed him to have this year, he hasn't had. 
And that's that's something that they're going to need eventually. And I don't know if that's ever going to click in this season. So that's why I'm slightly skeptical. Although if this is the role that he is this year and this is what they need him to be, then that's great. And then let's hope that that turns something around off the bench, which they desperately need at times. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that for a second, because for me, as Eric Thames continued to play well, and I think he is playing well, uh, it's somewhat of a platoon situation at first base. Mm -hmm. But I look at. I'm not looking to Jesus Aguilar to return to the form of what he was in the first half of last year. I'm looking at him to return to the form of who he was two seasons ago, as you alluded okay. to, where he was coming. That's that's the next step for him. He and he's done. He did that through an entire season two years ago. His his production as a starting first baseman, everyday starting first baseman, was only the pre All Star break portion of the year last year. So I feel right. like there's a better chance of him being able to return to who he was two years ago and if he does that that that's a plus for this team absolutely that's that's why i brought it up is as to me it's it's skepticism just for a little bit because i want him to be that like you mentioned in, in going through kind of that process again which would be incredibly helpful i just i i need to say i've been kind of a little bit on the fence about aguilar this whole season because of how it fell off last year and how he's never done this before in his career so if this is going to be a thing, if we can stretch into into August, into a couple weeks into August after the all, after the I'm sorry the trade deadline, and he's still doing this, then then count me completely on board for whatever he's doing that's different. I just I haven't seen much different at the plate aside from it's just working out, which maybe it's just that simple for Jesus Aguilar. It's just he just needs to start actually getting on base. But I haven't seen any any sort of real difference mechanically with how he's hitting. I wish he was a little bit more aggressive at the plate. I think that would help him more. Uh, but he's such a good two-strike hitter last year that I think he's trying to still be selective this year, and that's one of the issues, in my opinion. Hmm, that's interesting because I think, I think him being able to prolong at bats and wait for his pitch is a strength of his, and I, I like the fact that he, assuming he is fouling pitches off, and it's not right. just a you know watch three strikes go by and walk out the door, which I, he's not doing recently. I like the fact that he is so selective and he's able to work counts. Here's what I'll say, though. One of the, the, the big positive that I'll take away is in 230 plate appearances, he's got 33 RBIs. And the average for, for that amount is only 28 for Major League Baseball. So that's that's a positive. He is definitely doing his job recently of if you are at the plate and somebody's on base and scoring position, get that runner in. And he's been doing a really good job of that recently. Um, where do, Keston here is back and he's he's playing a pretty solid second base. Mike Moustakis is at third. They've been kind of futzing around with Orlando Arcia and Tyler Saladino at shortstop. I, I feel like I feel like they tried to challenge Arcia uh, by giving Saladino some at bat. Saladino has done as close to nothing as, as you can do, and it's mm-hmm. this, the Saladino thing is frustrating because you look at the numbers he put up at AAA, and they, they just want him to be that guy, and he hasn't been that guy at the big league level yet. And Craig Council even mentioned it the other day where he said, "Yeah, he doesn't have enough plate appearances to really say this is something." But you, you can't just leave this guy on the roster when he's hitting below a hundred for a while, especially when you, you dropped Aaron Perez because he wasn't producing, and now the guy that's replacing. Perez is doing less right, than what Perez thing. was doing. It's uh, it's it's so interesting on the infield because you know what you have in the outfield. There's no reason to talk about the outfield. You know what you have with the four guys that play out there the most. But on the infield, you've got Mustakas at third, but then you've got you know at shortstop we talk about that at second base it's going to be Keston here but clearly because here is so new that's a conversation we've already talked at first base it's it just seems like 
I talked earlier about getting some bullpen pitchers to settle the waters. I feel like settling the waters is something that could be used on this team across the board. You know, just uh, yeah, I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. It's just it's interesting to look at the infield the way it's set up right now. I think using the term frustrating is probably the right term there. Um, I was thinking about this the other day. Is it that big of a difference to have Mauricio Dubon up instead of Tyler Saladino, or is that just the case of you want Dubon to be getting at-bats and playing time every day so you keep him down in AAA versus Saladino, who's kind of done this this kind of fill-in in Aaron Perez role before? Well, I think the answer to that question is Tyler Saladino putting up just flat-out ridiculous numbers at AAA earned the opportunity to get to the big leagues, and they don't view it as being fair to – let that just be a really small sample size and move on. I, I, I've texted you about this before. I, I do not love it. Um, I think he's getting a little bit too much leeway, and I don't think this is – I don't think it's going to help Orlando Arcia. If, if, if that's my complete feeling is I don't think it's going to help him at all. I think, I think Arcia has played as good a defense as, since Saladino has been here as he's played all year long. I, but this is kind of what Arcia does, though. He goes through these streaky stretches of being the best infielder in in baseball, and then he goes through this week of what you know. I've never seen anybody do this before in my life. Why is he doing this? Yeah. Like, I, he just. I think that's his career. That's just who he is, and he does it at the plate too. Um, I agree that he's been a lot better recently, but I just. I think that's his mo. He's going to be a streaky infielder. So there's. I think the Brewers are sick of being forced to like challenge him. Like last year, they challenged him by sending him to AAA. Mm-hmm. This year, they challenge him by bringing up Tyler Saladino and starting to give him a bunch of at bats there. I, maybe I'm reading the room wrong, but I get the I just get the sense that they're 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 sick of being put in this situation where they feel like they have to internally challenge Arcia. No, oh, I'm with you. I was thinking about that earlier this week, which is why the Dubon stuff was so interesting. Um, you know, what's what's the next step with him? Where is is that a a future conversation? Is that a hey maybe he's trade bait? Maybe he's I I, I just I don't know where he stands in the, in this with Kesson Hira and with Orlando Arcia and and you could even throw in Lucas Ursag in that a little bit as well um, for kind of the future of the infield. I just I, I don't know where each of those guys stand. Anyone not named Orlando Arcia? I think you should have to throw Aaron Perez in there. He's still in the organization. He That's might true. he might not be on the forty man roster, but. If Saladino continues to swing it the way he's swinging it right now, if the organization says we can't bring Mauricio Dubon back because we don't have enough at bats for him, isn't don't you go back to Perez? I don't because I he just the last two years he hasn't been productive. I, I just don't I don't think he's productive enough to where you say okay, my two options are Tyler Saladino, who we haven't seen do anything this year in the majors, but who is tearing it up in AAA. Or Aaron Perez, who we've seen the last two seasons, and especially this season, just not be able to hit. I, I guess if those are my two only options, I'm sticking with Saladino. But personally, I'd rather see Dubano. But I also, I'm, I'm conflicted with I want him to get every day at bats when he's not going to at the major league level. What was Perez hitting? 230? Um, I'm trying to bring it up real quick. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. Um, and last year, I think he finished around the same thing. 235, okay. 235 in 2019, 253 in 2018, OPS, eh, six, 659 in 2019, 676 in 2018. I, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, uh, and, and I'm not trying to take shots at Tyler Saldino. Listen to me putting all these, uh, all these qualifiers on what I'm about to say. 
235 is better than 088. True, 100%. What do you, what do you always say about uh, Jay-Z? Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Right. So, I, look, the, the numbers are there, but then that's why I'm so curious about the – and you mentioned it before. If you see Sal, if you're David Stearns and Craig Council and you see the Salvino numbers at AAA and he's just tearing it up and you say, okay – we think that can translate into the big leagues. We think he's figured something out in his swing or mechanics or whatever it is, and it's not. How long do you give that guy to try and figure it out before you say, okay, we messed up. Maybe this isn't the answer. I don't know. Uh, by which, the way. Right, which I think there's a lot of questions that where, where you and I, and maybe they're just saying, okay, great, this didn't work. Like, you know, now what? Yeah. Corey Spangenberg, by the way, he's hitting, mm-hmm. he's hitting 312 at AAA. Ah, see, and here's the other thing: is this the time of the season to start messing around with this stuff to try and find the the you know the twentieth guy that you need someone to 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 pinch hit or or to go field for a couple innings well, you know, or play on a Sunday? Like that's is this the time to figure that out or is or yes or no? Well, you signed Corey Spangenberg to be on the major league roster, and mm-hmm. he didn't make the team out of spring, but he's still in the organization, and he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania. So we should automatically like him. I'm with you on that. Uh, assuming one thing. His walk-up music is the theme from The Office. Has anyone ever done anything like that? On a side note, a, a TV theme song? Because if not, I think they should. They should. What would you rather, the uh, the theme from The Office or the uh, the Dunder Mifflin song that uh, that Daryl writes? Dunder Mifflin. The, uh, yeah, the Dunder Mifflin yeah. song, for yeah. sure. The one that Michael hated because yeah. it wasn't rap. Right. Yeah, that's so, that's the song I want. So that's if, if Corey Spangenberg gets back to the big leagues, that's the song. I'll buy a Spangenberg jersey if he does that. Yeah. Okay. No Custom made tattoo, maybe even. Okay. Maybe uh maybe we should get a uh the hockey jersey from Scranton, like you know, uh that uh the Dwight Mike got, Scott. Yeah, and yeah. get get a Spangenberg one of those. Just I'm, bring I'm it all that. together. I like that idea. Somehow this conversation has just gone to the office, which is very right. normal for what our conversations are like <laughs> during most times. If people are listening to the podcast and don't like the office, they have completely lost what we've been doing here for the last few minutes. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Everything else was good before that. Let me get you out of here on this. Starting pitching, I'm, I'm really comfortable with starting pitching right now. Uh, I think they're getting very consistent starts from Brandon Woodruff and Zach Davies. I think Yoli Chassin has looked really good. Uh, his last three starts have been good. Mm-hmm. And for me, the track record that he has as a major league pitcher, I can, I can look at his last three starts and feel like he's turned some sort of corner. Chase Anderson... If he gives me five innings and two runs, I'm fine. Like he's, I view Chase Anderson as your fifth starter. So like, there was people in his last game where he was taken out after five innings, giving up the two runs, who were really complaining. And I understand that kind of from a from a very raw standpoint. But when you looked at how he went through the first time through the order, and then the second time in the order, all of a sudden he started struggling a little bit. You let him back for a third. You don't know where that's going to go. Chase Anderson's my five innings, two run guy, and be comfortable with that and most teams almost every team in major league baseball if you handed them a starting pitcher and said he's your number five guy and he's gonna give you five innings and two runs every time they're gonna take him um right adrian hauser's the wild card right now but Gio gonzalez is gonna be back sooner than later he's got one more rehab start i think i think when i'm doing this podcast next week we have a date set for when gonzalez returns to the major league rotation so i'm i'm comfortable with this not that they if there's an opportunity to get a starting pitcher and make the team better, groovy, go for it. But in terms of necessities and needs and all that sort of stuff, 
I'm pretty good with starting pitching right now. Agree or disagree? Um, I think I agree up until how we feel about Adrian Hauser. I do not feel comfortable with him on the mound. Uh, I know he's shown flashes. I would honestly, I would much rather see him in the bullpen. I, w- I would rather see his arm coming out of the bullpen, a la Corbin Burns last year, where all of a sudden it's, okay, this works. And and I'd rather see if this works in the bullpen because they desperately need that. And, again, this is with the caveat of Gio Gonzalez being back and being useful. Um, another name, not that we have a whole bunch of time, but Brent Suter, there's a slight possibility he's going to come back this season. Would would you want to throw him in the mix? Uh, he's a bullpen guy for me. Okay. Hey, another bullpen arm is good, though. Just got, You know this as well as anybody. When pitchers return from Tommy John, it's great to get them back, but they're not – they're not back to who they were prior to Tommy John when they first right. come back. Brent Suter is not going to be Brent Suter again until next year. Um, well, as long as his enthusiasm is still Brent Suter, I think that will help. Uh, sticking with the pitching, though, here's one thing that I – maybe not so much at this very second, but I think something – and this was something I was really worried about when Jimmy Nelson first went to the bullpen. I, I don't think it has done the bullpen any favors – that there's only a few guys that are like like true bullpen guys. You look at Matt Albers, you look hmm. at Jeremy Jeffress, like those guys are true bullpen guys. But they're the Adrian Hausers, the Freddie Peraltas, to a lesser extent, Corbin Burns, I think he's kinda of morphed in that direction. Those guys are, are guys who are not true bullpen guys. They're converted starters. And the thing with converted starters is they pitch but then generally they need a little bit more time off than those guys with the rubber arms, the way a Jeffress and Albers, a, a Claudio have. And Josh Hader's in that category as well, but Hader just does things that nobody else does. So you accept the fact that he may pitch two innings and then be off for two days after that. I, I don't know if it, that doesn't feel as good to me with a Freddie Peralta or with an even as good as Adrian Hauser was. And there was a while there where he was the second most consistent relief pitcher there. I just think it puts your bullpen in kind of a tough situation when you've got too many of those guys who need too much rest after uh, after their appearances. I agree with you, and I hear what you're saying, but my only counter is I think at this point in the season, um, Craig Council, and in my opinion, Brewers fans as well, should be worried about who can get me out, out of the bullpen. Philosophy. Philosophically speaking, there we go. I agree with you, and from a mental standpoint as well, from from those guys in the bullpen, I think you're right. But also, like they're just looking for guys to get outs right now, and I think whoever that is, whatever mixed mixed bag they have to figure out that are going to get outs once the starter is out of the game, I think that's all that should matter right now. That's fair, and I guess if it's a question of Adrian Hauser being really really good out of the bullpen and pitching every third day or seeing what we saw during the Giants series then clearly you take Adrian <laughs> Hauser being good like i you'd be crazy to say anything else that but that goes back to my reasoning for them i i want i don't think one bullpen pitcher fixes this i really sure. I, I really think they need to bring in multiple guys to settle those waters in the bullpen and be just that veteran conventional bullpen guy, maybe not a closer, but somebody that you're very comfortable putting into a high leverage spot as our conversation completely goes full circle and we're right back to where we started with. There we go. That's how we do it. And that's how we're going to finish off. Give a plug for everything you got going on uh, over at ESPN Milwaukee. Uh, The Power Lunch with Greg Matzik, noon to one, and then uh, TBD with Tony Smith and Brian D. That's 94.5 ESPN, noon to three. Uh, I'm on the board and on the mic during all those shows. We have some fun. We got some fun guests usually during those those three hours every day, and then uh, you can pretty much hear me doing Pelly Windows commercials, all sorts of random stuff. Uh, if you hear a wacky voice and somebody making a snarky comment, it's usually me. 
That's good. I'm I'm gonna be in for Greg Batsick a few times this week, and uh, I got some more dates coming up, so we get to work together on that. We're gonna have some fun. Yes. All right, Ashton. People should follow you on Twitter as well at Ashton underscore Rotman R O T M A N. You tweet at all hours of the day <laughs> and night because you never sleep. True. Thank you. All right. Thanks, buddy. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers X-Trains, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. It is time for our Down on the Farm report. And uh, we are now to the first of a two-week conversation uh, that we do this every time through the minor league system. We do this with Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball. Love getting his takes on everything going on in the minor leagues because he knows just about as much as every anybody out there on what's going on, uh, and it's a great resource that we have here on the podcast. Brad, welcome back on. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Long time no speak. That is true. Uh, the the All Star break and everything that. So uh, this is. I'll I'll open up the curtain a little bit. We were actually set for you two weeks ago. But we always do kind of an all-star break special, so you weren't going to be on that one. And for whatever reason, because I can be really anal retentive about some things, I didn't like the idea of having you on, waiting two weeks, and then having you on again for the second part of the conversation. In my mind, it, it just it has to be back-to-back weeks. Maybe there's like OCD in there, whatever it is. So here you are now, a couple weeks later than we would have originally had, had the uh, calendar worked differently. Yeah, well, you know, the only problem with it for me is, you know, I don't get to talk to my good friend Matt Polly as frequently otherwise. But otherwise, I understand. I mean, it's not like we've been short of news the last few weeks, so. That is true. And, you know, I want to, what we're going to do, this is the first time we've talked since uh, the short seasons have started. Short season baseball is really tough, I think, to evaluate. A lot of these kids were playing high school baseball not that long ago. Uh, some of the older guys are going to have a ton of success at short season, but it's because of who they're going against. You look at some of this dra- these recently drafted kids, and-, and you try to figure out what's real, what's not real. So I guess we'll, we'll get into, I guess, a couple individuals, but as we talk about the short season, specifically with Rocky Mountain and, and not trying to short what's going on in-, in Arizona or anything like that, but it gets even tougher when we get into uh, the Arizona Summer League. So maybe specifically with the Rocky Mountain vibes, how do you go about looking and seeing what guys are doing, and then how do you go about evaluating what's real and what's not? I think the one advantage with the Rocky Mountain Vibes compared to every of the other short leagues and the two Arizona teams and the Dominican summer teams is that you actually have video for them. Um, no Arizona team really has video aside from if you get a fan in attendance or a reporter in attendance and they happen to take you know video on their phone of a moment, you can see what a guy's doing. Um, but just getting that video gives you kind of some impressions just based on how they're performing. So when you look at like a player who's been hot, who I'm sure we'll get into later in Mike Abello, um, when he's generating the power he's been showing this so far this season you look at a swing and you're like okay are these meatball her you look at his the pitches he's had success on are these meatballs and a plate is he getting his hips all the way are they just like 
getting through due to bad defense, which are all contextual clues, which are very common in the lower leagues, but you can never really see. A uh, triple in the box score looks the same regardless of a 16-year-old in the Dominican Summer League doesn't play it correctly. Um, it still looks like a triple. And if we're just judging based on that, the success is all on that. So when you're talking about something as volatile as the, these groups of people just learning to play pro baseball and going against some kids who have had success in collegiate baseball against hitters much tougher than them, um, that context gets very difficult to put into play. But just having video can help you go a long way in evaluating that. Um, and then just trying to note the level of competition that they're going against. So if a hitter were to have success against a three-year college junior and they're a 19-year-old like Bella or, Bella or Gray, you know, all right, that's like they're going up against a guy who theoretically has, you know, more experience than most people they face when it comes to pitching. And that's probably a more difficult at bat for them. So you can note things like that versus when you're looking at like a 19 year old, like who the Brewers are sending out uh, in like uh, Carlos Luna, someone who's really young um, or a Nash Walters, um, you know, these guys who don't necessarily have experience Nash Walters. I mean, he's been a pro since 2015, but he missed a, he hasn't pitched since 2016 due to injury. Um, you can get those contextual clues a little bit better. Um, I feel like just because of the exposure that things like the Pioneer League gets that the other leagues don't. All right, so let's talk about the league for a second because people are familiar with Colorado Springs from being a AAA market for so long and being uh, the Brewers AAA team for, for a handful of years there. And I, I was working in Colorado Springs. I think most people who listen to this podcast and know my story know that I was there. When I was there, and actually it was part of the reason that kind of motivated me to get out of there uh, when I was looking around, is I, I saw the writing on the wall that AAA baseball was not going to be in Colorado Springs for a long time, and there were there was rumblings inside of the Sky Sox organization that, hey, the, the Helena is, gonna, is a short-season team. There's a very good chance that they're going to move that team basically into Colorado Springs. And I always heard from people, the reason altitude isn't going to affect things as much there as it does at AAA, and there's a lot of high-altitude uh, ballparks inside of the Pioneer League in Utah and Grand Junction, all those places, is that young guys like that are, are not throwing the breaking stuff as often, and it's not as good where it really impacts AAA pitchers. It's not going to impact guys at that level as much. Is that a, is that legit? Is that truth? true thing? Um. I mean, that's hard because I feel like AAA, you know that your pitches aren't moving as well, where although the players in are just experimenting with lesser forms of those pitches at those lower levels, how do they know that they're progressing successfully with what they're throwing? So that's always been an argument that I've heard, too. But, I mean, I have heard that in altitude it plays better later in the year because the heat kind of and humidity that just naturally comes with the summer months can kind of compensate for a lot of that. Um, I mean, I trust some of those voices you've heard a little bit more than me. But I think that makes it difficult on these kid pitchers who, I mean, you're seeing a lot of walks right now uh, from some of the more regular pitchers in the Brewers organization throwing at the vibes or with the vibes. And is that coming from, you know, 
they're seeing a diminished production her outcome in a pitch that they were throwing that already doesn't have that strong an outcome and they're getting taken more steadily for that um it's hard to evaluate without really being able to see some of the more advanced pitchers too, like seeing what a Brock bag looks like beforehand. Um, we don't have a lot of video of him before he went to there and seeing like, oh, okay, does it really affect it th- that much for something that broke even just a little bit? It's now shortened up enough that it j- is even less adequate than it was before. So, I mean, I could get where the logic is with that, but I also see how that would make it more difficult for these people who are at a more important stage in their development. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100. percent And that's actually, again, I'm a honk for Colorado Springs, having worked in that uh, in, there for six years. I actually liked it as a triple A triple A position because I thought it was a if you as a pitcher at your last stage of minor league development could learn to pitch there, you could pitch absolutely anywhere and I think we saw that I saw it with the Rockies and then I saw it with the Brewers where guys would come up and they would be able to have a certain level of success now the problem was if you sent a guy back down or if you were trying to get a guy to go somewhere on a rehab assignment I don't think Colorado Springs was advantageous for those guys but on the way up the first time as being that last stop before the big leagues I thought it was a good position for pitchers. Even if their numbers weren't great, I thought it taught them how to pitch a little bit better at that final stage. And not a lot of people agreed with me on that. Yeah, no, I'm full on board. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> Always happy to validate. All right, so let's talk about uh, Mike Abello because he's the he's the guy that you, you mentioned. And what he's been doing recently is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think he's getting a little boost in the power department because of the – uh, elevation in throughout the Pioneer League, but he's been a bat that I've really liked since coming. He came out of the draft. When you watch him hit, he just gets through the zone so quickly. Uh, right now, his swing has a little bit of violence to it that I think could be limited, and that will help him find more control and more success. Uh, but I think he just with how well he can make contact, he has great hand eye coordination where he can put the bat, even though it's violently ripping through the zone, he still puts it in a good place where he's going to get a piece of the baseball and hopefully find success. So as long as he gets the ball in play, he also has that good speed to help him get out ahead um, and hopefully turn that outcome into something positive for himself lucky for him it's at equaled up to 14 extra base hits in just 26 games so far this year um, and he's really been showing off the power that um, I do think is legitimate I think he has that power and that power ability I just think uh, his 19 year old body is getting a little bit of boost in muscle that's not quite there yet because of the elevation um You know, pretty solid defender. It's been nice to watch him. He doesn't always have the best routes off the bat, but he does it a lot more naturally than those younger players do. And I think he's going to be able to, with his above average speed, be at least an adequate center fielder or a really good left fielder. Um, He's someone like I've always been interested in, though, just because of the high contact profile with him. And I think as he continues to learn bat control, just the amount he makes contact and his speed, he'll be able to produce a lot of good outcomes. And he's not like a, someone we'll talk a little later about, like a Bryce Terang who makes contact and turns it into a single. He could really get a hold of a lot of these baseballs and turn them into extra base hits, uh, regardless of where the ballpark's located. So he's someone I'm very happy 
with. I'm happy to see him have success. Um, I would like to see the batting average get a little bit higher, but I don't think that's anything anyone is truly worried about because he's at least making solid contact on a regular basis. A uh, little bit of strikeouts, but again, he I think he turns 19 actually in a week. So he's not even 19 yet. Um, so for the second step in pro ball, really happy with where his progression's going. The one guy who is hitting above 300 on the active roster is Antonio Pinheiro, and he's really gone going here recently going into Sunday. He had three, four, five, six, what, eight hits over his last four games, jumping his average from 284 to 313 during that period. So maybe we wouldn't be talking about him if we're having this conversation five days ago, but that being said, he's putting up pretty good numbers right now. Yeah, uh, you know, they brought him up to kind of challenge him and had him take some time in Wisconsin. Um, He's still just 20, but that he couldn't handle a ball after a couple stints in the Pioneer League worries me a little bit um, in terms of his progression. Like, yeah, he's having a lot of success right now, but he the last two seasons he played in Helena um, and he was so so there and he was very young when he was playing there. So you give him a little bit of a break because of that. But, um, I mean, he didn't face that challenge well, and now his third time through, he's finally having success in the Pioneer League. Um, He's a guy who's a pretty solid defender, you know, came as an international signing who the uh, Red Sox actually had failed to sign or signed, and then he elected free agency because of some things the Red Sox went through when they were signing their international free agents. Brewers are able to scoop him up in 2016. and he's just been kind of stuck since coming out of the Dominican Summer League. Um, so it's good to see him having success. But based on the level of repetition, I don't know how excited I personally can be about that level or that success. Um, but there were stints where in Wisconsin you saw him get really hot. Uh, and he is kind of an exciting prospect. And, you know, another, again, high contact and speed turns balls into trouble for the opposing team. Um, which is always a good thing in my opinion. And he, you know, we know the Brewers love Venezuelan players and he fits right into that slot. So um, I I don't know if he's someone the org's really happy about, but the potential is definitely there. He's still young. And so you can't be too upset about the repeated levels. Just hopefully next year we see a little bit more positive outcomes for him at Wisconsin. It's kind of funny for me because you think of Colorado Springs and you think of really high batting averages, and he's the only guy on the active roster above 300. That has a lot to do with the fact that there's so many young kids who are just kind of getting going. Is there any surprise to you that the batting averages from a team standpoint, they're only 243 as a team, only one guy over 300, or is this just a case of 18 and 19-year-olds being 18 and 19-year-olds? Yeah, I definitely think it's a case of 18 and 19 year olds being 18 and 19 year olds. I mean, I the, the oldest guy in the roster uh, offensively, I believe, is Nick Kale, the recently drafted catcher who signed. Um, oh, I think Michael Wilson actually um, might have him edged out, but I think it's like 21 is the oldest. So these are all still young guys, either just meeting their um, first experiences in pro ball. Or, you know, really learning what their offensive capabilities are. So I I wouldn't say it worries me too much, uh, despite it being a very offensive friendly environment. Um, In fact, even despite some of the lower averages, there's things I've been really excited about. Like I've been excited about when I watched Jess Williams and uh, his control 
um, with his bat and his performance from the left side of the plate. Um, he's looked really good, and he's one of the uh, Australian signings that the Brewers had in 2017. And so far, his outcomes have been really good, but he doesn't have the greatest average. But he's been able to um, do some things that show good progression and suggest that you know there's a good future there for him. So I, I think you're still seeing those positive outcomes. You're just not seeing 350 batting averages because they're also seeing higher velocity than they might have seen before. Um, and you know maybe these kids who d- definitely struggle hitting breaking balls because I think that's very common for people who are 20 and under to struggle with are you know now seeing new shapes and breaking balls because of the elevation. So things although easier are also harder for different reasons for someone who really hasn't had a lot of experience with professional level athletes from a pitching standpoint the guy that impresses me so far the most uh, just based off the numbers and I, I haven't seen these guys you have so all i can do is go off numbers and then go to your expertise but you look at what nash walters has done five games five starts one and oh 1.31 era uh 21 strikeouts 12 walks and 20 and two-thirds innings five runs three earned on 13 hits there's some good numbers there yeah and it's a really positive uh, little outcome for a guy who a lot of people were high on coming out of the 2015 draft. Um, you know, he advances or he pretty steadily uh, for a young pitcher has Tommy John his first time through the pioneer league in 2016. And now he's finally healthy enough to come out and throw. And he's been looking really good. Um, you know, he's a guy I think developmentally has uh, despite that injury, taking a pretty good leap. And yeah, he's 22, but he came into the major or in the professional baseball as a high schooler. So he really only has prior to this 15 games of experience, I think something very minimal uh, compared to what a lot of some of his even peers playing pro ball and pitching around him have seen. Um, you know, very positive guy, able to get strikeouts, can really work hitters well. Um, and he's shown a good ability to limit good contact when uh, other players are going against him. A uh, little wild, I cough that up more to, you know, balls being harder to control at the level he's currently at. But um, he's still getting those strikeouts, which to me, when he's struggling with command with his breaking pitches, means that he is still being crafty enough to get the outcomes that he's working for. So he's always been a guy that I liked. Uh, I really like his fastball, and I think he has some promising breaking stuff. So definitely someone other fans should be keeping an eye on, too, as he hopefully advances through the system a little bit more rapidly next year. The four guys, other four guys who are getting consistent starts, and uh, Carlos Lunas, uh, Michael Veselotti, also uh, Brock Begg, you mentioned, and also uh, Cam Robinson. None of those guys' numbers look especially good. Any reason to be concerned at this point, or is this, again, just a case of young guys being young guys? Um, I would say Vasilati and Robinson are very worrying because their walks have been uh, out of control. Um, they just cannot locate their pitches, and uh, that those are coming. And not only can they not locate them, where I mean, Nash Walters in twenty and two thirds innings, which is just 
about two thirds more than Robinson has 12 pitches to Robinson's 17 and five more walks is a lot more walks, but Robinson is also giving up harder and better contact, which is coming back to bite him when he's putting free runners aboard. So um, I think whenever you see that, that's cause to worry for a pitching prospect, um, especially someone who we were seeing pretty good stuff from last year when he was with uh, the uh, Arizona league, he was really coming out of that league strong. He has good stuff, but he's 19 and, you know, pitching is a hard concept to grasp. He's progressing at a pretty steady rate, you know, had his two seasons at Arizona league. Now he's with uh, the pioneer league and hopefully that's just a stutter, but I would say those walks are very concerning bag. I think it's more of an adjustment to, professional baseball than anything else. Um, he really has uh, had that one bad outing in his, uh, I think, second appearance with the vibes. So I kind of give him the benefit of the doubt in his small sample sizes, or if you have a three or four run inning with the amount of innings he's currently throw, that's really going to hamper the ERA. So right now I'm giving him a kind of softer evaluation than I would give to most of the players on the team. I'm well aware as we jump up to the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, I'm well aware that as you watch these teams, you're focused in on the prospects and not so much the winning and the losing. But that being said, Timber Rattlers are playing pretty, a, a lot better in the second half of the season than they were playing in the first. Yeah, um, and I think it's just the bullpens holding on a little bit better than it was before. Um, you know, they have the problem with low a is especially in the beginning of the season when you're trying to get pitchers through who might not be ready. Um, they hurt your team, but they need that those opportunities to develop. Um, and sometimes that means, you know, you don't get, um, as solid pitchers, um, because they might be working on stuff in Arizona league and they're taking a little while to move them up or in Arizona extended spring training. And they're waiting a little bit to hold them up. Uh, sometimes you get a boost from recently drafted guys, uh, guys getting healthy um, or guys just figuring it out and putting two and two together. Um, I think if this situation is much more that they're w- finally getting guys who are figuring out ways to get good outcomes and they're benefiting a lot more from it. And then also they have the guy who was their most dominant pitcher in, uh, for their team back in Max Lazar. Um, he's back from injury. And I mean, you're looking at a guy who in almost 39 innings pitches, 59 strikeouts. Um, so he was a very important piece for them, even though he was only allowed to go max five innings at a turn. Those are four or five very valuable innings where he's dominating the opposing team and setting the team up for success. Um, so I think it's a combination of health and guys just figuring out their development. Um, I don't think the offense is any better or worse than it was before. Uh, I purely think it's just the pitching is now more stable than it was before um, like the midway point. By my count, this roster only has two top 30 guys per MLB pipeline. Javon Ward from a hitting side and then uh, uh, Adam Hill from a, uh, from a pitching side. Am I right on that? Yeah, although I expect that to change. Uh, they'll get Ethan Small when Small gets going. Uh, he's currently working on some things in Arizona. And I think Thomas Dillard will probably end somewhere up on the back end of the top 30. Um, as an advanced collegiate bat. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I mean, we're talking about a team who also had uh, Aaron Ashby, Drew Rasmussen, and Bryce Terang, 
uh, earlier in the season. Terang leaves about a week ago, and all of a sudden you're lacking the prospect power that you had um, to start the season. The when MLB Pipeline does the update with the drafted kids at some point midseason, that should be relatively soon, isn't it? Generally, end of July. End of July. Okay, so yeah, that's relatively soon. That's within two weeks. Mm-hmm. So, um, what? So a lot of under the radar guys on this Timber Rattlers team. What's the? And I. It seems like we talk about the under the radar guys with the Timber Rattlers more than any other team every year. It just seems like there's guys who really kind of step up and, and step forward, and, and you take notice of who's that guy this year that you really enjoy watching and think maybe they'll end up on the top thirty, if not on top thirty, just be a solid organizational guy who's going to continue to move through the system. Uh, I'll give you one offensively, one on the mound. The one I already mentioned who doesn't get a lot of press is Lazar. Um, you know, he is kind of a soft thrower uh, for his age. Uh, that's not to be unexpected. So he's kind of low 90s, high 80s. He just turned 20 last month. Um, but he, his outcomes are unignorable, and they've gotten to the point now where I make him must-watch TV with my MLB.TV or MILB.TV subscription. I go out of my way to make sure I'm tuned into every Lazar start that I can make or rewatch it. And just uh, he has a very deceptive fastball that he can use to keep these hitters off um, from really squaring him up, and then he has a you know a really good breaking pitch that is uh, really taking shape. It looks like a plus pitch that uh, shows to me at least like major league bullpen potential where he can be a reliable contributor in the bullpen. Uh, That's a guy who I've been really excited about based on, if nothing else, just his outcomes, but his outcomes have been undeniably spectacular and some of the best organizationally wide, like throughout the organization, they have been some of the best at any level. Uh, and then one guy I know other people keep uh, notes on, and I've mentioned him before, is David Fry. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a fun guy to watch hit. He does really well. Uh, he can really drive the ball out of the park. He's been in a bit of a slump lately, which has lowered his batting average down to 265. He was uh, sitting 280, uh, like bouncing between like 280, 290 throughout the season. So right now you're seeing that dip down, but uh, he just has a, a really fun way to punish or when he punishes a baseball it's really fun to watch uh, he has a fun swing where he really uh you know powers onto his front leg from his back leg and he can really do some damage and that's just enjoyable to watch um and you get to see fun things like right before the wisconsin uh, or uh, the midwest league all-star break they let david fry play every position except for pitcher um they every inning they rotated him from third base shortstop second base first base the entire outfield and catcher um and you know uh, he let that happen he encouraged it to happen he had a lot of fun with it and I, like he, that personality reflects in his play and it's just something i really like to see so i've really enjoyed that from so far or like just him in all aspects not only watching him just really smack a baseball but then just you know he's a guy having fun playing the game and taking the opportunities he can he's working with some uh, a team who's younger than him but you can see like he lets that youthful energy kind of play into him Um, and he's been a really enjoyable presence with that team so far 
as a team, they're only hitting 229. Uh, Fry is one of just two players hitting above 260. Everybody else is under. The other guy being a guy who's kind of been uh, it's it's Kyle Rios, and uh, he played a couple games uh, in April, four games in April. Did not play again until early June. Played a handful of games. He's played on July 7th and, and July 12th, so he's been in and out. I assume it's an injury thing. I'm not totally sure. I'll let you uh, answer that. But uh, when he's in there, he's he's produced. I think it's just difficult to get him in partially. It's okay. been injury to an extent, but then there's also when he is healthy, it's just hard to get him in because you have Diaz, you have Fry, and you have Rios, and you're trying to get them all position or time playing at the same uh, place, and you're just having trouble making that happen. Um, I haven't paid attention to him in the field as much as I should, but I know he hasn't played anywhere but catcher. Um, so I don't know if he doesn't have the first base flexibility that David Fry has or if that's something he's struggling to learn and that's preventing him from getting more playing time and just that he can't take the field or he can only take the field at these two positions. But he's a guy I think should be getting more time because he showed a lot of promise. Um, and in the few opportunities he's gotten, he's looked very strong. Um not literally because his slugging percentage has been bad, but I mean, I don't expect anything more from a guy who's only played 12 games yeah. on a basically every other week basis. Um, so I don't know. You normally traditionally don't really see uh, minor league guys struggle to get at bats. Normally, even your utility players or backup position players are players you're working in to get in because they still hold developmental value to the organization and they might have a future. And I think Rios was drafted with them knowing that, um, yeah, he was a late round acquisition to help fill catcher. But if all he was, was a guy to catch baseballs, wouldn't he be at somewhere where that might be more re- needed? Like, uh, I feel like until Nick Hale, I mean, Nick Hale just suffered an injury and her, when he started his career and they didn't send him down to Rocky mountain where, you know, maybe they could have used another backstop. Um, I don't honestly know what's going on and I'm a little confused and hoping that if it, I haven't heard anything uh, substantial about an injury. Uh, I also haven't gone, honestly have not gone out seeking the information because he's kind of been easy to forget because he hasn't been getting any playing time. Um, So he's just been kind of a confusing scenario all in all, because like I said, when he is healthy, he's still not getting playing time. I think there is a part of it to his uh, defensive limitations, and I'm not sure if they're working on that on the side to try to get him ready for that. And that's holding him back, uh, which sometimes happens. But I, I would love to see him actually get some time out there. I mean, he's a has 24 stolen bases in 20 pro games from a catcher, which, you know, is very rare um, to see that type of speed behind there. He also has a really good contact and hit profile. Um, I do think he can hit for more power than what he's doing. And even in limited opportunities he's been able to get on base regularly he has a 386 obp um i'd like to see more from him and i'm not really sure what's holding him back i know it's not all injury though i but i unfortunately don't have i only have speculation as to the other stuff any concern on javon ward he said just 230 it's got a 320 on base uh that that's significantly higher than his average so that's good to see even though the raw number isn't great it's in comparison to the average it looks a lot better but him being that one top 30 hitter uh he has not done this year what maybe you would hope him to do 
No, Ward uh, is always someone I give a little bit more leniency to when I'm evaluating because he was a due sport athlete coming in who uh, he still really, really needs to add muscle to his frame. I mean, this is a guy who really could be a huge power threat, but he has no weight to put behind the ball. He's six foot five, 190. Um, there's not a lot there. Um, so when he does make contact, the ball doesn't really go anywhere, despite him having this giant lanky frame that could produce a ton of leverage and really get on top of a ball. So I always give him some leniency, not only on that he has a long way to go with physical development, but he's 19. He was a two-sport athlete who didn't focus on baseball. They, when they drafted him, one of the big caveats for his, uh, not only was he really young in 2017 when they drafted him, this is his third pro year, but he you know, was very, he had a lot to learn about playing baseball. Uh, he's shown, I, I think I would be worried if they thought he had shown so little that they brought him down to Helena, but they don't feel that way. He's looking better defensively, which it was a struggle for him. He was very rigid in the outfield, didn't necessarily get jumps on fly balls. And now he's starting to look a little bit more fluid there, which with his speed, that can be someplace where he play or is an exceptional defender someday. Um, he just has a lot to learn, um, and he's learning it against much better competition than he saw when he was in the Arizona League and uh, Pioneer League. So I always give him a little leeway when it comes to that, although it wouldn't be a surprise to me to see him repeat this level if he doesn't put a little bit more into his resume than currently is there. Um, but I don't think that'd be the worst thing for him because he does have so much to work on. I think it's really easy to look at the Carolina Mudcats and say this is the team to watch in terms of prospects, especially uh, that they now have Bryce Terang at him to Tristan Lutz. There's other guys as well, but uh, this is a group right now where there are some clearly some players on this team that the Brewers are hopeful will be you know impact players at the major league level. Yeah, I mean you have four now top fifteen prospects in terms of just with the bat. Uh, you have Aaron Ashby joining the team and a, a you know, um, a couple of other pitchers who in like Noah Zavalos, who really looks pretty solid in his appearances and a couple of guys who are surprising, who I don't think anyone were expecting anything from. And then you have players like Matt Smith come out and yeah, he's 25 and 34 round pick from a couple of years ago, but he's looking very solid as a starter, which you know, is a positive thing to see, especially considering he really didn't get that opportunity prior to this in his pro career. Uh, you know, a guy coming off injury only had five starts before this in 2016. Um, finally getting a chance to play and he's doing a good job with the opportunity he's had. So that's always good to see. Um, but I would say the most interesting thing for me is in the offensive category, especially Tristan Lutz is someone I've had a lot of fun watching this year. Um, he seems to be doing exactly what he did last year, where he comes out flailing, can't really get behind it. And uh, now those stats from his first pretty much April are holding him back in the statistical category. But if you look at him from the start of May, he's slashing 273, 365 with the 454 slugging. Um, add a little bit to the slugging because the Carolina League is just a hard league to hit in. Um, in to, if you were playing in any other league and you have a guy who's producing a really, really nice line, um, like future top 100 prospect type line, um, 
so that's been very promising to see from a guy who, again, I know we've repeated this a lot, but he's very young for his level. He's uh, 20, about to turn 21, uh, you know, third pro season, has advanced significantly in each opportunity he's gotten. Um, he, some of the other guys we talked about did two or one year where they spend the entire year in Arizona League. The next year, they spend the entire summer in the pioneer league and then they go to wisconsin his second pro season he gets a full year in wisconsin third pro season he's getting a full year in carolina looks like he's going to play more games than he's played before um, has been improving himself each season uh, very positive outcomes that we're seeing from tristan lutz uh, a great projectile her projectable uh right fielder because he has quite the arm to go with his offensive capabilities and potentially a five tool player because he also has an okay amount of speed if anything speed will be his worst asset as he continues to mature and add on mass uh, but still he'll be so good at everything else i don't think you'll notice it then you have the catching duo and mario feliciano and peyton henry uh, they are going toe for toe in their offensive production uh, feliciano still just 20 even though he's been in the organization since 2016 um, you know, it seems he does go in these funks and then lowers his average and then he'll come out and he'll have a eight game hitting streak where he has multiple hits, uh, you know, three home runs in there, a lot of extra base hits. And I think that's what I've been most impressed to see from Feliciano is just his, the consistency to barrel up balls and get an extra base hit, um, is it was something he kind of struggled with beforehand. This is the first season he's had uh, as a pro with a slugging percentage above 400, currently sitting at 456. So that's always great to see when a, a young hitter's power starts to develop. Uh, he's looked solid defensively. But the one thing about him and Peyton Henry is strikeouts are a problem. Uh, Feliciano is currently sitting at 108 on the season. Henry's sitting at 103. Henry's the older, more advanced bat. So I think it's more worrying that he has that many strikeouts. They're both striking out about 30% of their at-bats. Uh, and despite the overall positive results that they're seeing offensively, those strikeouts are worrying because we know as you advance up the ladder, if you're struggling at your level, it just gets harder. Um, so I get worried about their ability to make consistent contact there. Um Henry's just advanced enough that even though he has those troubles, I've always seen him as a guy who is very coachable and able to improve himself. So even if it takes till the end of the season, I do think that's an issue he'll overcome. And then Feliciano just has the benefit of being very young for his level. So when you see those flaws, you don't worry about it too much at this point in his development. I don't ask you to do comps very often, but I, I want to get into this with Bryce Terang. And mainly, it's a, this is more of a bigly connected question because as we hear the rumors and the rumblings about the Brewers potentially making trades, Terang's name comes up every once in a while. And uh, where would I, I'm, I'll, I'll name three middle infielders that I think most Brewers fans are, are fairly familiar with. Obviously, two at the big league level right now in Orlando Arcee and Keston Hira, and even Mauricio Dubon, who was just sent down. So three young infielders. Where do you see Bryce Terang maybe in comparison to those guys, uh, just so fans maybe know what they're talking about when they hear about the potential of Terang maybe being part of a deal? Um... That's hard. Um, I don't bring you on to ask you easy questions. I know. <laughs> um, so I would say his offense is 
more in line with Orlando Arcio's power, but with Mauricio Dubon, I feel like Mauricio Dubon has a little bit more power in his at bat than Orlando Arcia. So I feel like it's Mauricio Dubon with less power is the offensive profile we're looking at with Terang. Um, I can see him kind of being like that D Gordon guy. If we want to look at an, another major league out or late major league infielder who we've had experience with um, just based on him being linked to the Brewers. So if you can l- subtract a lot of that uh, extra base potential, because we really haven't seen that from Bryce Terang. But I think he falls uh, closer to Orlando Arcia in terms of his defense, maybe more of like a J.J. Hardy um, for defense, which might be an outdated reference now for some of the fans who come on board in the last few years based on their success, but still a gold glove caliber defender. But when Orlando Arcia is on top of his game, he is like a generational defensive talent Mm -hmm. because he not even because he's getting more balls than everyone else per se. When you look at some of the background ratings, he isn't the greatest defender in baseball right now at his position, but there's things that he does instinctually that are out of this world insane. And that makes him a generational talent. Um, so he's not that good, but he's secure. I think at the end of his development, the project common projection is he's going to be solid enough that he could win a gold glove or two in his career. Not perennial, not every year, but he could be that guy who they're like, okay, you know, he really had a good season this year. So give him the gold glove. Um, so I think he's somewhere in there with a Mauricio Dubon type at bat. Like I said, I kind of like the offensive profile of using, uh, a D Gordon, like four or five home runs a season, but he's a guy who can create a lot of trouble on the base pass with his speed. Um, you know, he's already stolen about 50 bases in his pro career um, and he can cause a lot of havoc on the base paths, but he does need to get a little bit more power into the bat. Cause right now he's been a singles machine, um, you know, leaves Wisconsin with a 376 slugging percentage, two home runs, three home runs in his career. Um, but you're not looking for homers from him, but a couple more doubles than what he's getting would be Irving by a couple. I mean, like 10 more doubles than what he has would be something you'd like to see from, you know, even just stretching a single that lands in an inopportune place into a double is something you kind of expect with someone of his speed. Um, but yeah. So that's a very long slash added in evaluation to answer your question. So Dubon's bat, or like, I would say a decent combination of Dubon and Arcia. Because Dubon is the lesser defender of the two. So if you take, if you give him some of Arcia's ability and make him a above average defender, and then if you take Dubon's contact ability with, a little less power like Arcia has. I think that's what you're looking at. I think it's an important conversation to have right now, and not to completely go off the minor leagues for a second, but I will. When we're talking about potential trades, I don't think many people, and and why should they? This is not me putting anybody down. I don't think many people really get a grasp of who these guys are in the minor leagues, even some of these you know, top prospects. We did this with Keston Hira. We did this with Lewis Brinson. Like the, the conversations about these guys, people don't know what they're going to project out to be. And even when they project out to be something, they don't always turn into that, see Lewis Brinson. But if, if we're going to sit here and have these conversations about Bryce Terang maybe being part of a deal, 
I do think there is some importance for somebody, and if it's through this podcast, great, for somebody to try to maybe explain what the Brewers would be giving up if they give up a player like Bryce Trang. Yeah, and I would say if someone sees young, tiny, 19-year-old Bryce Terang and says with a little bit more power, that guy can be or can be like a 10-home run hitter, you're looking at potentially a Trey Turner type evaluation on uh, Bryce Terang. Um, you know, Trey Turner is elite contact ability. I, I don't think he's going to hit 342 every season, but the last three seasons, when you're looking at like a 280 guy with a 400 to 450 slugging percentage, uh, but you know, 40 stolen bags, 40, 30 to 40 stolen bags. I think that's a pretty good, like hard to reach, but reachable ceiling for Bryce Terang. Um, so I think that's the type of guy you're talking about when you're talking about giving up terrain, but it all depends on how the other team evaluates him. If the Brewers see him as a Trey Turner, but another team sees him as a D Gordon, that's a substantial difference in value of what they're bringing to the team. Just because uh, D Gordon doesn't create as many runs as Trey Turner does. So he has less value to the organization that he plays for. Um, so it all depends on how other teams evaluate him and every front office is going to evaluate them differently. Um, but I would say with the level that Bryce Terang's bat gets rated, which is pretty high, uh, people expect like a 280 average and then good to above average defense with 30 to 40 stolen bases. So what I, I agree with you, like it's it's something where if you don't understand that and you don't hit the major league comps, you don't understand what his value is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing that fans don't understand, we talk about this a lot. And when I say I'll get into debates where people will say like, well, can't we get the Tigers, Bryce Terang and Aaron Ashby as like the lead fronts? Because those are two guys who project out to have very strong future major league careers. And I'll say, no, they want someone in triple A. And they say, well, the the Tigers aren't ready to compete yet, so why would they want someone in AAA who's ready to play in Major League Baseball? It's not about be like having a guy who can start playing for you tomorrow. It's about having someone who's progressed far enough through development that there's less risk in developing them yourselves. So you know more. It's about knowing more of what you're getting versus taking a pot shot on a guy who has the potential to be a Trey Turner, but. Bryce Terang at this level is risky and hard to buy in on because he could never advance past the Carolina League. I don't think that's a realistic expectation, but that is something that's happened to pl- many players with first-round picks, uh, players with his skill set. It happens. Players get stalled. They stop developing. So teams want these double-A about to go to triple-A or triple-A players because they know that they're getting closer to they have a better idea of what they're getting in return and yes there's a lot of volatility we've always seen guys who can play really well in the minors then do nothing in the majors looking at you lewis brinson but it's still safer than drafting or than you know trading a top trade chip for like a monty harrison versus a lewis brinson where monty harrison could be as good as lewis brinson but at, for traveling from a to triple a wouldn't you just rather have lewis brinson at that point talking as a prospect not as what we know lewis brinson is as a triple a player um it's just having safety and protecting your investment more or less 
sidebar, it's kind of funny. Jordan Yamamoto has already had more of a major league impact than Lewis Brinson. And what did I tell you? He's the Michael Brantley of that trade. Okay. You, you <laughs> He's the it. Michael Brantley of that trade, and I guarantee it. And I still need to go out and buy his jersey because I told him I would. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a man of my word, darn it. I know you are. I know you are. Uh, when when I look at pitchers in the minor leagues and I see guys who are just relief pitchers, I always pause for a moment because some of those guys project out and continue to move through the system, but there's a lot of guys who project to be relief pitchers that organizations use as starters because it gives them the opportunity to have the innings to develop all their pitches. So it's, it is very, a lot of these guys that we talk about as starting pitchers in these conversations are guys that are never going to start a game in the big leagues. They're just being given the opportunity to have more innings, to throw more pitches, to develop quicker. So I see two guys with the Mudcats who have only been relief pitchers who are putting up really good numbers in both Michael Peterson and JT Henson. Where do these guys stand in terms of them being able to move forward? I kind of view and this is somewhat becoming an outdated evaluation, but I still think a valid evaluation where we currently are. But I view someone pitching exclusively in relief in low-level minor leagues as somewhat of a kiss of death. Mm -hmm. Um, It means that generally they don't believe that you have the – that you only have the ability to be an inning filler in the minor leagues. You're going to be in organizational depth. You're going to help protect leads so the guys can understand what or her how to get a win. Um, But you – You know, we don't really see you doing much of anything for us. Uh, There's a big popular caveat to that when you're talking about a pitcher who, you know, only pitches relief but speeds through the system. Kind of like what Drew Rasmussen's been doing, but if he was only relieving versus starting for three to four innings and then leaving the game. Um, because they know they can help in the major leagues quickly. But when you're looking at a Hinson and you're looking at someone who, or even better example, a Michael Peterson, I think, um, someone who signed as an undrafted free agent, uh, someone who spent four years in the system, he's on his fifth season, um, and he started only in a percentage of his games and advanced only as a reliever, and he's still in the lower level of the minors. Generally, as a fan evaluating that situation, you can kind of just throw them out in your mind as being anything. Occasionally, that ends up being opposite of the truth because, you know, they just thrive in that role and they end up forcing the issue and forcing themselves into reliever status and being relevant. But more often than not, the truth is that guy isn't going very far in that organization, especially if when they start relieving, they don't start advancing him more quickly once he starts finding success. So when you're looking at Michael Peterson and he had 32 games in relief with the uh, T-Rats last year, and now he has 27 games at Carolina this year, and he might be advancing, but he's only advancing level by level year by year. That's a bad outcome or bad sign in terms of what the team sees in that player. JT Hinson can be, he, I mean, he might still have a little bit more hope because he was just drafted round 10 last year. He's already in Carolina in his second pro season. Um, you know, maybe the team sees a little bit more and just, but just knows like if they're going to get value out of him, it's only going to be as a reliever anyway. So you might as well just put him there and see what happens. But still, I would say not a very good reflection of, excuse me, the team's thoughts on him regarding his ability. 
Let me get you out of here on this. Your boy, Aaron Ashby, struggled his last time out where he gave up six runs and four and a third innings. He had one kind of mediocre start uh, at Carolina when he gave up five runs and five and two-thirds innings at the end of June. He's only uh, he's only started uh, six games uh, with the Mudcats as we speak uh, on Sunday night. But how do you feel about uh, his progress as he's moved up a level? Uh, I'm happy that he's at the other level. Uh, you know, I always feel like with Ashby, you're going to see some shakiness as he goes uh, stop to stop. But, uh, you know, he continues to have substantial strikeout numbers. Um, I think he's getting better at controlling his pitches and limiting some walks. I think he's just facing more advanced hitters. So now for the for a guy who was a Juco guy, was able to really mess with those high school, lower level collegiate bats, uh, you're now facing you know, upper tier talent. We've talked about this before, how a plus can be kind of uh, the first really challenging stop for some players. And I think that's what you're going to see for him. Um, So I think I, I don't know. I'm still very optimistic just based on his tool set. Um, And even despite that bad start, I think he has a really bright future ahead of him. Um, I like that. We're still seeing a lot of strikeouts from him in his first few starts when he was dominating, when he comes to, uh, a, her A plus for the first time in Carolina, um, so I'm still very, very optimistic on his outing. But I think you know it's this is an important time to see how he reacts to you know a couple bad outings at a time when he's probably seeing some of the best hitters he's seen in his entire life, um, and hopefully he gets around it just fine and turns it into a very good, uh, you know, just continues progressing through. And he's a guy I think we could see up in the majors by 23, 24, if he keeps going at the rate he's going. Um, But a guy I really, really like, as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, um, I have very high opinions of Aaron Ashby. It's mostly because his fastball and breaking bitch combined look amazing. Um, I'd call him the future ace, but he might be more future ace of the bullpen. But that's still a very, very good thing, and I'm really excited about him. Take me through uh, what you've got going on over at uh, Brew Crew Ball for folks who want to follow uh, the minor leagues a little bit closer. Well, of course, you can follow my stuff uh, every day. We do a little minor league update. Yeah, you could go through the box scores, but we try to make it easy for you. We go, we, we go through all the top contributors and all the top prospects. And then we do a top statistic leader every week. So you can track kind of how players are performing week to week to week to week to week and see who's, uh, you know, maybe had an increase in their performance. Like you can see, you know, oh, Tristan Lutz is steadily increasing his batting average by like seven uh, every week, which is a good thing to see. Um, we also just on the more global percentage or global thing have had uh, some interviews for minor league players that we're we've been re- slowly releasing. But it's trade season, so we're talking a lot about trades, the Brewers' potential. Should they be sellers? Should they be buyers? They should be buyers, um, and kind of the players they can target along with that. Uh, and some of the prospects who are going to lend them capital and give them the flexibility they need to get back in um, more into the thick of the fight because they are still there despite what the fan base thinks in our current state of panic. Um, (laughs) So, you know, we have all of that, and we will, uh, you know, hopefully get you through these trying times where our team goes through what they go through every year. Every year, we have a month of really bad baseball from the Milwaukee Brewers, and every year the fans act like it's a surprise and want to burn the whole thing down. Um, it's just the annual month funk. It's fine, people. 
All right, I told you I was going to let you go. Well, la- Brad, wh- how have we moved into a world? Okay, my belief, and you can disagree with me if you want to. Uh, I'll respect you for it. But my belief, and I think this is true in baseball more than any other sport, not that you don't want to win a championship, not that you're just playing to be a playoff team, but darn it, being a playoff team in baseball matters. I know they added the second wild card, and maybe that dilutes it a little bit, but still, even just being a wild card team in baseball, getting to the playoffs, being a playoff team, it matters. I'm not saying you're playing to be a playoff team and winning a championship doesn't matter, but there's different levels of mattering, yet there's so many in the fan base right now that are saying, well, there's no chance that they're going to win a World Series this year, yada, yada, yada. And let's let's go on the premise that that's true for a second. I don't know if it is, but let's, let's pretend for a second that that's 100% true, that they have no chance of being a championship team this year and getting back to where they were at last year. Even if that's true, isn't it still worth fighting just to be a playoff team? Uh, let me ask you a question that I think sets you up with a good answer. Does Yasmani Grandal come to the Milwaukee Brewers if they aren't in the NL Championship Series next last year? No, not on a one-year deal where he's taking little money like that. No, he never does. He, it makes the, you more the only relevant. scenario it gives you the opportunity to make more money, to make more, to attract more players, to attract better talent. Being a playoff baseball team gives is what gives you the opportunity to win championships. Whether it's providing the front office with the money they need for the flexibility, which we can get into some of how that's BS on a different episode, but, um, or whether it's a tr- Yasmani Grandal doesn't play for the 2018 Milwaukee Brewers as a free agent, he doesn't. I don't care what you say, he doesn't. But he plays for the 2019 Milwaukee Brewers because they were in the NL Championship Series. If you want to keep attracting these people, you just have to make the playoffs and let teams know or let players know you have a good team, especially when one year deals are becoming a more commonality. I mean, you have Trevor Bauer talking about how he's just going to play on one year deals for contenders for the rest of his career once his deals up. Um, And I think that's going to become slightly more common for these players who still like Mike Moustakis, who still have enough to contribute. But player teams are afraid to sign to long term deals because they're not sure when that's going to expire. And he has a profile where it suggests it expires more quickly. Um, Additionally, I didn't think before 2011, I thought it was a real possibility that I wouldn't see an NL championship series in my lifetime. Because it's so incredibly hard to get to. So incredibly hard. I've seen two now. And that is great. And the more playoffs I see, just being in the playoffs is your opportunity. We've seen teams like the Giants weren't, shouldn't have won some of the World Series they won in recent years. But they won them because they were there. The Cardinals a couple of years ago, uh, not a couple of years ago. It's actually been a while now, but it just feels like yesterday. That year that Scott Spezio was on the team. I remember yeah, that. Yeah. He, they shouldn't have won that. Yep. Even the year against the Brewers. They were a wild card team. They weren't supposed to be there. But just being in and getting hot at the right time lets you do it. So, like, why do you not want to be just a playoff team? Because we've seen how dominant this team is when they're hot. If they get into the playoffs even by the skin of their teeth, but they get in and they're hot, they can go the entire way, even if the team doesn't change at all from here to the trade deadline. Thank you, Brad. Uh, You're very welcome. We'll do this again next week. How about that? 
It sounds great to me. All right, there's Brad Ford. Really do appreciate your time. We'll talk next week to do double A AA and triple A. Can't wait. Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Again, we will have another conversation with him next week where we're going to focus in on the AA and AAA clubs and what's going on at this point in time. And then after that, we'll circle back with the various team broadcasters uh, with the podcast moving forward, and we'll see where we're at uh, once we get through the team broadcasters uh, once again. Here's what's coming up with the Brewers. Right now, they are in a stretch of 13 straight days with a game before their next off day. They just lost two of three to the Giants. They'll begin a three-game home series against the Atlanta Braves starting on Monday. 7-10 first pitch on Monday and Tuesday, and then a 1-10 first pitch on Wednesday. They'll then head to Arizona to take on the Diamondbacks in a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday series. 8-40 on Thursday and Friday. 7-10 on Saturday. 3-10 on Sunday. And then they are back home for a three-game series against the Reds starting on Monday, July 22nd as uh, they'll go into that 25th, Thursday the 25th, which is an off day. And uh, after that, I mean, you're just about to the end of July at that point in time as we get towards the trade deadline. All of a sudden, the next thing you'll know is it's August and the season is really getting down in the home stretch. This is the time now where the Brewers do need to pick things up a bit. It's very important that they find a way to uh, do so, and uh, we just need to wait for them to uh, do that. Uh, as always, you can listen to all the Brewers games on 620 WTMJ and, of course, the Brewers Radio Network. If you are listening on WTMJ, MJ uh, in front of mini games if they start at uh, 6 o'clock or earlier or if they start I guess at uh, 8.30 or later we don't do it but all the games that say start at 7 o'clock or most of the weekend games we have Brewers warm up which is a half hour program prior to the network broadcast so for a 7-10 first pitch like you would have on mini nights at Miller Park the network starts at 6.35. We go from 6 to 6.30 with the Brewers warm-up. And, of course, I hope you can listen in uh, each night to Brewers Extra Innings, our post-game show that we do. You can also stream that at WTMJ.com. A lot of people ask questions because we can't stream the actual network radio broadcast. Those digital streaming rights are actually owned by Major League Baseball, not by the uh, individual radio stations. So that's why if you go, ever go to WTMJ.com during a Brewers game and go to the stream, you're just going to hear some archive programming. But as soon as the network broadcast does wrap up, we do stream Brewers Extra Innings. So if you want to listen to that, you are able to uh, do so uh, via the streaming on uh, WTMJ.com, on the WTMJ mobile app, uh, some other places that you can stream radio stations as well. All right, thanks for being tuned in. Uh, my uh, appreciation goes out to both Ashton Rotman and also to uh, Brad Ford for joining us. Look forward to talking to you again next week for another edition of Brewers Extra News, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.